Hey friends, welcome. My name is Joe. This is The Joe Martino Show. And today we're going to talk about three coping mechanisms that can be dysfunctional. How do we identify them and what purpose do they serve? Let's kick it off. This is The Joe Martino Show. You're listening to The Joe Martino Show, a podcast dealing with all things emotional, relational, and human nature. Joe is a licensed counselor in the state of Michigan, specializing in relationship therapy. He is also the author of the book, The Emotionally Secure Couple. All advice offered in this episode is offered for entertainment and educational purposes only. Enjoy the show. All right. Hello. Welcome to midsummer, uh, almost August. I am lamenting that school is about to start. I thought about doing an episode on that. Instead, today, what I want to talk to you about is just three simple coping mechanisms that people will often engage in and then what we can do about them. Uh, and then next week, uh, we're going to talk about the idea of how do we overcome our coping mechanisms? How do we navigate the path from, from utilizing coping mechanisms that may or may not be working to utilizing coping mechanisms that can work and can help us? The three basic coping mechanisms, and there's some overlap here, and you're going to find them maybe with some different titles under different theories of thought, but the three basic ones are surrendering, avoidance, and overcompensation. If if you're in the surrendering mechanism, and that's the one that you use, you typically surrender to the punitive, critical, or guilt-inducing thoughts in your head, and you start thinking negatively about yourself and feeling bad. If you're in the avoidance Uh, You will often avoid emotions and problems so you don't have to be confronted with them. And and I want to be clear on this. Simply because we use one doesn't mean we won't use another one, or quite frankly, all three. Overcompensation. In in this one, we're going to act in the opposite way to the feelings and demands of what's running in our head. So the person might display excessive self-confidence, or they might seek to control other people in order to avoid feelings of insecurity or helplessness. And as these three styles run... Typically, they bring destruction uh, to relationships around them, and they're pretty common once you recognize them. Uh, honestly, it, you'll start seeing them in the people around you pretty regularly. So let's talk about surrendering first. We talk about surrendering when a person behaves as if the message from their mind and what's going on inside their head is those, as if those messages are absolutely true. And this is why it's important to talk to yourself, not just listen to yourself, I've talked about that in the past. We're going to talk about it more in the future. Uh, Next week, we're going to talk about it some more, how how we talk to ourselves. But the problem is the person doesn't see, they don't see how to escape from a difficult situation in a healthy way. So obviously, if if you're there, you start to feel sad or bad or miserable or guilty, or sometimes they'll even get mad at themselves, often maybe. And then when they're asked to express their own needs, they probably will often feel helpless and avoid actually expressing what they need. And and this can I can see this in couples therapy a lot. Someone comes in and 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 one of the spouses will just say the husband is very frustrated because when he asks his wife, well, what do you need from me? She doesn't know. She can't express it. And in part, it's because she's stuck in surrendering. Uh, one of the case books that I read uh, as part of preparation for this episode talked about a woman named Holly. I'm sure it's a made-up name. But as a child, she experienced sexual abuse by her grandfather, Her grandmother was aware of the abuse, but did not dare to raise her voice against her husband. Okay, later in life, Holly gave in to the sexual desires of any man who wanted her. And when a man wanted to find out what she wanted when she was actually in a relationship, and her husband said, hey, what do you want? She didn't know. Now, here's the thing. What happened was there's two traumas. Grandfather is sexually assaulting her. Grandma knows and doesn't do anything. 
So two of the people that should have protected her didn't. Um, with the abuse, I don't. I've, obviously, this is a case study, so I don't know, right? But in my experience working with people who've experienced this, grandfather, the abuser says, "Don't tell anybody because they'll think you're bad." And so what happens is, is they use manipulation. If you don't do what I want, you are bad. If you do what I want, don't tell anybody because you're bad. And so as a child, there's no way to process this. So what she learns is the safest way to feel safe, even though I don't feel safe, is surrendering. And you can see how what happens is this starts to spin for her and create uh, emotional and mental trauma, more emotional and mental distress. Okay, let's give one more example of surrendering. Let's talk about a guy, we'll call him Josh. He has a strong guilt-inducing narrative in his head. Its origins probably in his depressed mom, right? She was very uh, uh, needy because of her depression. We're not knocking her. That's just a reality divorce situation. If, if you uh, if you want to read a book that many people get angry at because of what it says, not because the research is flawed, read The uh, Unexpected Legacy of Divorce that talks about effects that divorce has on adults whose parents got divorced from their children. And this isn't to, to guilt anyone. It's just to say that there are effects to it. And, and so uh, Josh's parents were divorced. His mom was depressed. She put a lot of need on him. Uh, she, she needed him for a lot of support that really wasn't appropriate to his age. And, and now as an adult, Josh is a social worker who sacrifices himself for his clients and often overburdens himself. He's always willing to care about other people's problems, even when his working hours are over. And even though his boss has asked him to set stricter limits in dealing with his clients, in his private life, he does everything to make his girlfriend happy and completely forgets to take care of himself. When his girlfriend wants to do something nice for him, he can hardly feel his own inner needs. Now, here's the important thing. Here's a good test. If somebody, if you struggle for somebody to do something nice for you, you probably have a coping mechanism related to trauma somewhere. And so in the case of Josh here in the case study that I was able to pull out of the book, I see this a lot. People, they're constant. In fact, I know a social worker right now. I'm thinking of a social worker that I worked with at Pine Rest who, who quasi brags about how she, you know, basically just overspends her life trying to help her clients. She's too, she's overly invested. It's, there is no distinction between her work and herself. And what happens there is she's stuck surrendering only to the needs of others and her own life. She's not very good at her self-care. And so this is surrendering. These are people who, uh, as a coping mechanism, what they utilize is, I will just constantly focus on others. Or if they focus on themselves, they have to be perfect. Uh, they, they have to be constantly, the work day and night, everything has to be done perfectly. They feel the pressure to start doing something useful anytime they rest. Uh, and they surrender to their uh, achievement-oriented narrative in their head. And, and so what they're doing is, is there's this narrative running in their head that if I'm not doing something useful, I'm not useful. So I have to surrender to that and move forward. And it's a coping mechanism to the, to the stressful narrative in their head that they're not doing anything. So those are some examples of surrendering. Okay, so let's talk about avoidance for a few minutes. People often avoid distressing emotions related to the, the, the very... The very uh, different narratives running in their head uh, by avoiding certain situations or they'll try to consume sedating substances like alcohol or benzos or pot. Uh, they're, they're just trying to avoid. They're trying to do anything that they can. Uh, I'd even say that people, and this is where I remember I said earlier that the, the coping mechanisms can run together. One of the ways that people try to avoid is they'll, they'll overwork. I, I knew a guy who was married not very many years. I want to say maybe just two or three 
And he was at work all the time. In fact, when he came to see me, he's like, I just work all the time. Well, why? I don't want to go home to my wife. She's mean and grumpy. And, you know, maybe she was, maybe she wasn't. But either way, he was avoiding something in their relationship. And the relationship isn't going to get better as long as he's avoiding it. We might talk about someone avoiding things or using an avoidant style of coping when they act to put a distance between themselves and a difficult emotional experience. Anytime they do something intentionally to put space between themselves and some level of distress. One of the things that, that couples therapists will talk, uh, I mean, on repeat with, with their clients, their couple clients about is you have to learn to tolerate the distress in a relationship in order to be healthy. You have to. And you can avoid it. But the problem is with avoiding it, we don't actually get healthy. We don't actually solve anything. Now, one of the things to remember is we only talk about coping styles or coping modes uh, when, when they're becoming dysfunctional. And so not all of these are dysfunctional. There is a time and a place to avoid bad things, to avoid toxic people, to avoid toxic situations. But when you consistently avoid the distresses of life, you're probably caught in a dysfunctional coping mechanism. Uh, avoidant patterns can be related to very different actions, including be avoidant behavior in, in the very narrow sense, such as things like they, they withdraw socially, they don't attend work, they skip school. Uh, we can also use emotionally nubbing substances, right? So people who do that, or, or they can develop distracting behaviors. In other words, there are people, you've heard the phrase, uh, I, I eat to soothe my feelings, or I consume a lot of TV. People who get overly invested in TV show relationships are probably avoiding real life relationships because of the distress that comes with them. Uh, and, and you'll see this, or people get very involved in video games. And, and again, I'm not against video games. I'm not against technology, but I've known people who were more concerned about their video game characters than they were about their real life situations. They were avoiding their real life situations. Now, I, I would actually argue they weren't more concerned about that, but they demonstrated more concern physically as a means of avoiding the phys emotional and mental distress of their personal lives. You could also talk about control issues, right? So maybe starving oneself reduces emotional experiences. Some patients with maybe with uh, borderline personality disorder, a common struggle for people who are struggling with that disease is they will self-harm often to avoid. My religious friends, some of you pour yourselves into Christian ease, into religious habits to avoid the real-life pain that comes with living. I would suggest that that is the exact opposite of what Jesus did. I've had clients that utilized education to avoid real life. They went and got a bachelor's degree. They went and got a master's degree. They got into their field. They decided they didn't like it, so they went back to school. I had a client who had four bachelor's degrees and four or five master's degrees because she couldn't handle facing certain things in life outside of school. And so she would surrender to that narrative and then avoid life. And that's how these run together. I hope that makes sense. Uh, let's talk about Isabella. She had, a, she had a narrative running through her head telling her that nobody liked her and that she was ugly. Since she was a little child, she had been teased about her knee, knock knees. I don't even know what knock knees are. And her acne. I do know what that is. I had that as a child. I got made fun of for it. Her family used to compare her unfavorably to her pretty sister. As a result, she feels ashamed when she's around other people. She avoids these feelings mainly by social retreat. She pulls away from society. When she goes out, she usually drinks much more alcohol than she actually wants probably because when she's drunk, she feels less ashamed and anxious. Let me tell you about 
Sarah. Sarah grew up in a family that was very, very critical of her. This is a real-life person. Isabel is someone I, I, I found a case study for. Sarah is a real-life person that I personally know. She grew up in a very critical family, very strict religious family uh, who would l- compare her weight. In fact, when she was a teenager, she had, a e- she had an eating disorder. And if she put on any weight, she told me one time, I put on two pounds, and my mom said to me, I feel like you're putting on a little bit of weight. Maybe you should diet more. Now, here's, what inter- here's what's interesting. As she grew up, oh, she grew up, she was told she was stupid. She was told she wasn't as pretty as her sister and she, was, she wouldn't amount to much. In fact, she should just be a, and, and somebody told her she should just do a, a you know, a, a, a menial job, kind of like an entry-level job for the rest of her life. And so she, she retreated, first of all, into the, the religious world where she developed a religious vocabulary that helped her to avoid. It allowed her to surrender to her, her uh, uh, inner dialogue regarding what was going on in her head. And, and she started to use this lingo, and she was just going to go be a missionary and be single, not because that was actually the desire of her heart, but because that's what she was afraid all she could get because she was afraid she was ugly and not smart, etc. And so as she got older, and suddenly she, she started to realize, maybe I'm not dumb. She went to college, got a degree, got her master's degree, uh, started a business, was very, very successful starting the business. But then she, the temptation became her success was a way to avoid people. And this is why we have to deal with coping mechanisms, not just the behaviors that they lead us to. And so Sarah came to see me and she was like, I need to figure out how to not use my life as a way of avoiding life, if that makes sense. And I told her it did. And we worked through it. And as far as I know, things are going well for her today. Uh, Let's talk about Catherine. She has a strong guilt-inducing model in her head that runs that tells her she is responsible for everything and has to support everybody. She has often helped her neighbor with various issues. Though Catherine likes to help her neighbor, the neighbor who is a very lonely woman also clings to her and doesn't have good boundaries. Catherine is tempted to not have good boundaries because she wants to avoid the discomfort that'll come with having boundaries. And as as you run through this, you know, we could use humor as a way to avoid. We could crack a lot of jokes to avoid things. All right, let's talk about overcompensation. I don't want to run out of time here and we are quickly running out of it and I don't want to do that. Overcompensation is a way that people, they they try to confront uh, deficits with excess. Now, here's the thing. They might be perceived at deficits or they might be real deficits. So a person who maybe isn't good at English but is really good at math will constantly steer the conversation to how good they are in math. They'll, They'll try to wow you with how good they are at math. We only talk about an overcompensating coping style when someone behaves as if the opposite of what's going on in life is true. So, for example, someone who's feeling inferior uh, to others might overcompensate by by behaving excessively. They might be arrogant. They might almost be narcissistic, if you will. Uh, They'll behave excessively, overconfident about themselves. And and just like avoidance, overcompensation can take many forms. What what all of these have have in common, excuse me, is that overcompensating person seeks to control and dominate the situation. All of these coping mechanisms are designed to bring control to the person trying to use them. So so the avoidant person is trying to have control by keeping themselves out of the possibility of, of anything that is distressing. The surrendering person is trying to maintain control by just saying, okay, fine, I'll give you control. I'll just, I'll just it's yours. Yep, you're right, let's go. The overcompensating person, they're going to try to maintain control by wowing you, by, by being too far forward. I, I watch this all the time uh, on Facebook, people who are actually 
not necessarily confident in what's going on or they're comparing themselves, they will go on the attack and it doesn't match the situation. Let's talk about my favorite case study uh, when I was researching this. Carl is a small, plump, rather unattractive man who grew up in a rich family of entrepreneurs. However, the family company went into bankruptcy some years ago, so his wealth is gone. He's always felt inferior because of his unattractive appearance. This feeling has been enhanced by the loss of his money. He compensates by his feelings of inferiority by behaving in an extremely self-confident and macho way. Most other people can see straight away that he actually feels inferior and is compensating by showing off. And this is the thing about coping mechanisms. They really don't fool anybody. And so poor Carl, he's in a situation, he's probably been made fun of as a child, but you know, at least they had some some means and, and, and you know, entrepreneurs tend to be a proud lot because they're creating things. And now not only is he not creating anything, but the family business went into bankruptcy. That creates a situation where now he feels inferior. And so in order to overcome that feeling of inferiority, he overcompensates by constantly shoving it down people's throat. And you'll see this all across the board. I just heard a story this week where I was like, oh, she's overcompensating. But unfortunately, I can't share that story. Uh, it's not a client. Um, but, but it's just one of those situations where, you know, oh, well, this happened to me. And so people tend to, if they're not getting their way and they feel inferior, they're going to overcompensate. Uh, let's talk about another case study. Benjamin was forced by his father to stay in his room for hours to do his homework. He started to resist his father and they frequently had arguments. Eventually, he just stopped doing his homework, took to missing classes, and started using cannabis and cocaine. That escalated quickly. Later, even heroin. He was kicked out of school. His father became very frustrated and disappointed in him. Benjamin didn't finish his education and became an addict. He used drugs not only to feel better, but to actually resist his father's demands. Using drugs gave him the feeling that he controlled his own life and his father by doing the opposite of what his father actually wanted. And he ends up developing a narcissistic personality situation where he's going to do what he's going to do and literally blowing up his life. This is a good example of, of typical overcompensation. And you'll see this again if you think about the people who, uh, you know, they're using school or work to avoid. They're going to be very confident and, and, and run at it. Now, it is important for us to be able to cope with negative emotions when they overwhelm us. That's really important. And coping strategies that help us survive these are necessary. I want to be clear on that. We, we're going to have distress. We're going to have emotional problems. And it's important that we have coping mechanisms. But a coping style becomes dysfunctional when they start to impede with life. We can't, we can't mate obligations, right? Responsibility, the emotional intelligence uh, component of, of being able to navigate society, or our own needs, needs are not being met. And then we can't handle, uh, you know, navigating our own needs. And, and so the emotional intelligence piece of self-competency there. And so these three coping mechanisms in and of themselves telling someone, okay, you know what, we'll just do it your way. That may or may not be bad. That's, that's what makes coping mechanisms so difficult is in the right dose, they're not that bad. Uh, overcompensating. You know what? I tell my kids all the time, I believe in the fake it till you become it model. I don't believe in the fake it till you make it, but I do believe in the fake it until you become it. Avoidance. Certainly there are situations and people that we should avoid in the right doses. We should avoid them. But when we do it to the point of detriment, we've reached a dysfunction. So for instance, I was once working with a client who 
would overcompensate a lot. And we talked about that. And, and he was kind of stuck because he was like, well, what's the difference between that and confidence? And, and, and that's a good question because confidence is a legitimate thing and we need to have that. And sometimes we fake our confidence until we actually are able to assimilate and become the thing we're looking for or looking to become. And as, as we stretch through that, as we wrestle through that, are we bringing dysfunction to our life? In other words, when we use these, are we, are we improving our relationships? Are we improving our mental and emotional distress, uh, distress or are we exasperating those? Those things. And next week, we're going to talk about ways that we can definitely improve them. For, for now, I think it would be helpful to anyone be on the lookout for what are your defense mechanisms? What are your coping mechanisms? How are you coping with distress or anxiety in a way that is not helping your relationships? It's not helping your mental and emotional distress become what you want it to be. Uh, hopefully you enjoyed this. Hopefully it was helpful to you. I want to thank you for listening. And uh, if you did like this, please share it with your friends. We appreciate that so much. Uh, Either way, we'll catch you next week. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed today's show, please share with a friend. And hey, give us that rating in your podcast store. Until next time, change possible.